And uh, one of the things that uh, you do if people are not very um, eager to listen is you act things out. At least that's what you do in the Bible. God would use the prophets sometimes to communicate with people and he called blind and deaf in sort of pantomime fashion. And that's kind of what you've got here in uh, Jeremiah chapter 13. You've got this uh, sort of pantomime. Oh, I need to get this closer to here or I won't. Will that work? Yes. All right. Um, and so let's read this. And this is kind of an interesting thing that uh, Jeremiah did. I probably raised some uh, curious questions from the bystanders. So uh, we'll see what he has to say about this. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and buy yourself a linen waistband, and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I bought the waistband, in accordance with the word of God, and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take the waistband that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates, and hide it there, in a crevice of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord had commanded me. After many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the waistband which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates, and dug, and took, my, and took the waistband from the place where I had hidden it. And lo, the waistband was ruined. It was totally worthless. When the word of God, when the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, Just so I will, destroy, will I destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people, who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, and have gone after other gods to serve them and bow down before them, let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. Okay, so uh, Jeremiah is told to go and buy what? This will not be the only thing he's told to buy in the course of his career. His shopping list uh, was interesting. But here it's a waistband, and what's he supposed to do with it? Hide it. Before that, wear it. And not do what with it? Meaning he was not supposed to wash it. What happens to an unwashed waistband? It gets dirty. And then what does he do with the waistband? Hides it where? The river Euphrates. There is actually debate about that, but I think it's the river Euphrates, which means he took a long trip to put this waistband in sort of a crevice of the rock there by the Euphrates River. And uh, then he's, you know, it's there uh, for a long time, and then he's told to go back and get it. And it's ruined, it's dirty, it's, you know, it's kind of useless. Um, so, that's kind of an odd thing to do. You know, what was all this deal with the waistband? What, the waistband was really what? Yes, the waistband was really uh, the nation of, of Judah, of Israel. And uh, you can just kind of go step by step. This is exactly the uh, career of God's people. 
First, having the waistband around their waist meant what? God appointed them to be his people. Yeah, and they were very close, close to God. And then the fact that they weren't washed, they got dirty means... They were worthless. They were sinners, they were wicked, they got grimy in their relationship with God. And then the fact that they, uh, the waistband was taken to the Euphrates means what? They were going to be taken into captivity on the other side of the Euphrates. And then the fact that they were uh, went and got the waistband means what? They were going to come back. Exactly. Uh, so, this is just sort of acting out what was going to happen to the nation of Judah. Uh, that, you know, weren't really willing to listen to anything else. So Jeremiah shows them with the waistband what was going to happen. Um, you know, of course, the whole problem in this is they're constantly rebelling against him and getting dirty and refusing to allow him to cleanse them. That was not a good thing. Comments or questions on those first 11 verses? Pretty straightforward, don't you think? All right, uh, well, we've got another uh, little, this isn't maybe so much something that Jeremiah acted out, but it's a little story he tells them, 12 to 14. Therefore you are to speak this word to them. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every jug is to be filled with wine. And when they say to you, do we not very well know that every jug is to be filled with wine? Then say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to fill all the inhabitants of this land, the kings that sit for David on his throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. I will dash them against each other, both the fathers and the sons together, declares the Lord. I will not show pity, nor be sorry, nor have compassion so as not to destroy them. Okay, this is this little, little proverb almost that to Jeremiah tells them. This is what the Lord says. Every jug is to be filled with wine. Now what if you just heard, that's the word of the Lord for the day. Every jug is to be filled with wine. What was their response to that? Celebration? No, not here. What, is this, what do they say? Uh, there we are. <laughs> or, or at least... Duh. Yeah, I mean, when, when he says every jug should be filled with wine, we, we, we actually have lots of jugs, you know, we have milk jugs and I don't know what, all kinds of jugs. But he means like every wine container. I don't know what we use for a wine container, every flask, no? Would we have a word that just means something you put wine in? Wine bottle? Wine bottle? Wine jar? Wine bottle? What if you said every wine bottle be filled with wine? What would you think about God giving you that decree, that statement? It's like, yeah. What else would you put in it? You know, of course. You know, that's kind of what they're saying. Like, okay, so why are you telling me this? Well, God says, I'm about to fill all the inhabitants of this land from the kings down to the ordinary people with drunkenness. Now, drunkenness in the Bible, especially when they're drunk on the wine of the wrath of God, 
you know, means a state of confusion where you just start reeling and staggering and vomiting and falling and you can't help yourself. That's what's going to happen. In fact, they're going to be so drunk with the wine of God's wrath that God was going to dash them against each other. You know, they were going to just helplessly destroy each other. And uh, God would not pity, nor be sorry, nor have compassion. He was going to cause them to be drunk with his wrath and to dash into each other and destroy each other. That's what it meant when God says every jar will be filled with wine. That may have seemed like kind of a weird thing to say, but he meant them to ask questions about it so he could say, here's what's going to happen to you guys. This is another way of saying all of you are going to be destroyed. God picks creative ways of saying things in Jeremiah, I assume because they weren't listening to non-creative ways. <laughs> Comments? Questions? Brad? Should we use that method to evangelize them? Well, you know, maybe so. There may be times that we need to use little parables or little kind of uh, shocking statements. You know, we would typically tend to do that maybe at times. If you see somebody is just really, you know, not very spiritually focused, you might come up with some sort of a way of saying something, what? You know, and, and get them to actually ask a question about it. Certainly Jesus used a lot of parables. Other questions or comments? All right, 15 to 17. Hear and give ear, do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God, before he causes darkness. And before your feet stumble on the dark mountains, and while, while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death, and makes it dense darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Alright, this, this chapter really has these series of little brief things. And here, he tells them to give glory to the Lord in verse 16, but notice what he says to them in verse 15. Pay attention, don't be haughty. Their problem is pride. So you're trying to lower their pride, so you need to give glory to God before what happens. Before it destroys you. Yeah, that's right. Before God does what? Yeah, before it gets dark. You know, time's running out. Starting to get dark. There's a last glimmer of hope. If they just listen to God and humble themselves, you know, before it just the deep darkness sets in. But if you don't, How's Jeremiah going to feel? Lives up to his name. Yes, the weeping prophet, that's right. Yeah, he's just going to be filled with tears and bitter weeping, which means they're going to be punished severely. You know, Jeremiah loves his people. So either this proud nation humbles themselves and uh, before God brings the darkness, or Jeremiah is just going to cry his eyes out because it's going to be terrible tragedy for them. 
just another little statement trying to wake them up, trying to shock them into repentance and turning back to the Lord. Comments and questions? All right, 18 and 19. Say to the king and queen mother, take a lowly seat, for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. The cities of the Negev have been locked up, and there is no one to open them. All Judah has been carried into exile, wholly carried into exile. Well, who's this being spoken to? Yeah, it, did you know, I mean, the, the mother of the king in Judah had a special position. She was called the queen mother. She was like, have you heard, I mean, like the queens of England, you know, are a kind of, they have a special kind of an honored role. Well, she would have an honored role. This is probably spoken of, spoken to Jehoiachin, and his mother was uh, Nehushta. And she would have this special kind of motherly role uh, as the queen over the kingdom. <clears throat> almost all, if you start looking, almost all of the kings of Judah, their mother's name is mentioned in the Bible. And that's because of this special role that the queen mother would have. Well, say to the king and queen mother, what? Yeah, because... Taking your kingdom away. Yeah. When you take the crown off the king, that's probably not a good sign. You know, God's going to de-king him. And uh, the cities of the Negev have been locked up and nobody can open them. Do you remember where the Negev was so geographically in Israel? The very southern desert. What was the farthest south town in Judah? Beersheba. Down there, Beersheba and below was the Negev, the southern desert. Now, do you remember in Jeremiah, from what direction does the enemy attack? The north. So if the uh, cities in the far south are already taken... What does that tell you about the rest of the country? They went around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, if, if they are invading from Canada, it's a bad sign when the cities in South Texas are locked up and destroyed. You know, that probably means we've already uh, been taken. Um, so he says all Judah has been carried into exile, wholly carried into exile. Now, you know... When God speaks to the prophets, God tells what he's going to do. Has God ever, you know, uh, decreed something and it never happened like God said it was going to happen? So if God says something's going to happen, you can speak of it in past tense. You know, because it, like, it's already happened. Because, I mean, if God says it's going to happen, then it's, you can put it in the bank. Like, remember what God said to Abraham? Before he ever had any children, I have made you a father of many nations. That's a funny thing to say to a guy who has no kids. <laughs> I've made you a father of many nations. I'm not even the father of a child, let alone father of many nations. 
Well, God had made him that because God had determined that's what he's going to be. So he just speaks in past tense. I already made you that. It's, it's, it's happened. You know, it just hadn't actually worked itself out in history yet, but it's happened because God says so. So he says, Judah's been carried into exile. Well, really, I mean, historically, <laughs> you haven't seen it happen yet, but since God's determined it's going to happen, it's, it's happened. Uh, so, no wonder the uh, crowns come off of the king's head. There's not any na nation left to rule. You know, when the cities in the south of Judah are closed up, then the nation is under the enemy's entire control. And by the way, in Jeremiah's day, the enemy was who? Babylon. Babylon. Comments and questions? What do you make of all Judah and wholly carried away when there's always a remnant left in Judah? Um, I make of it that there's not anything significant left. And think about this. The future for Judah was where? Where were the, the people who were going to have a new start in Judah after the captivity were living where? Jerusalem? No. What happened to the people who were living in Jerusalem? Where did they end up going? This depends on knowing later stuff in Jeremiah. The people who... Egypt. They went down to Egypt. That was a dead end. <laughs> Remember, they went down to Egypt because Ishmael killed the governor, Babylon appointed Gedaliah, and they got scared and they went down to Egypt. That was a dead end. What God says is the future for the people is with the ones in Babylon. So really, by the time you get the people down in Egypt, they've gone into exile one place or the other. Uh, so, but I think he uses the all kind of comprehensively here. Basically, they're gone. Other questions or comments? All right, 20 to 27. Lift up your eyes and see those who came from the north. Where is the flock that was given to you, you, your beautiful sheep? What will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pain seize you like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? For the greatness of your iniquity, your skirts have been uncovered, your heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to evil, to do evil. Therefore, I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Therefore, I will uncover your skirts over your face, that your shame may appear. I have seen your adulteries and your lustful names and the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations in the hills of the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! Will you not be made clean? So, Look at, look at those coming from the north. That would be uh, the Babylonians. And um, you think about the relationship that Judah had previously with Babylon. Do you remember which king of uh, Judah made more or less an alliance with Babylon? He showed Babylonian ambassadors all his stuff. Well, somebody said it. Hezekiah. Hezekiah, that's right. 
Remember Hezekiah had the Babylonian, Babylonian ambassadors come and he raked out all of his treasures and so forth to kind of show what he could do in the alliance? And, uh, well, their former allies are going to conquer them. They're going to take over. It's going to be painful like the pains of childbirth. You know, it's going to be devastating to them. And if you want to know why this happened to you, you ever see anyone, I don't know why these terrible things happened to me. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, what if you were a teacher and you have this student coming to you and the student never turns in his homework, never passes his tests, never participates in class, and, you know, he gets his grade and it's not a very good grade. Comes to you, I just don't know why this happened. I don't know what happened. Why do you get a grade like this? I can't believe you gave me this grade. Well, it's like, well, uh, wait a minute. You know, I mean, they're like, whoa, what happened? Why, how did we go into captivity? Well, he says, because of the magnitude of your iniquity. Because of how much you sin. You're so wicked. You know, that's why God's exposed you. You know, Sometimes people are so blind to their own sins. It's always easier to see somebody else's sins than to see your own. Don't you think so? Our vision's great when it comes to somebody else. But when it looks at ours, oh, I don't, I'm okay. What did I do wrong? And so he says, you know, listen. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? What would the skin color of an Ethiopian be? Black. Can you change his skin? No. You know, if you're whatever skin color you are, I mean, you know, we do have tanning booths. We can kind of darken up a little bit. And there may be some products that can lighten us, but more or less, you're born the way you're born. How about a leopard? Can he change his spots? You know, I said I spotted a leopard. And I thought, well, I thought they were born that way. But, um, you know, it's the way they are. Now, what he says is, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. His idea is that evil is so ingrained in them. They've developed this, you know, habit that becomes just a fixed feature of their character. You've gotten to the point you can't change anymore. You've just given yourself over to the sin so much that we talk about it being second nature. You know, it just becomes your almost instinct. It's just the way you live. Always giving yourself over to these sinful, you know, uh, addictions and things like that. Have you ever done this sort of thing? You've got some pet sin. And you know you're supposed to quit. And, well, you make up your mind. Never going to do that again. And then you really, really want to, you really, really think you need to. And so how do you justify it in your head? What will you say? Just this once. Just this time. You know, that's all Satan really ever angles for anyway. He's only ever saying just one more time. You know, Chris, he's a liar. <laughs> you know, so when he says just one more time, what does he mean? Yeah, he means one more time right now. <laughs> yeah. We, we just continue to kill ourselves one more time at a time. 
And uh, have you ever done this one? You know, you know you're not supposed to do the wrong thing, but you really, really want to. And so you say, well, I might as well just get it out of my system. You know, if I, if I, if I do the wrong thing, then, then it'll be over with, and then I won't be so tempted. Any of you ever done that? Well, don't ever do that. Do you ever get something out of your system by doing it? That's more like kind of putting it into your system. <laughs> you know, do you ever break a habit by continuing it? You know, if you want to break the habit, like stopping it might be a good idea. He says, you get to the point where it just becomes so much a part of your nature. And we got to really stop ourselves before it gets to that point. When it gets to the point where it's as much a part of us as the spots are on a leopard, we're in big trouble. And that can happen. And you know what? It happens one sin at a time. One by one by one by one, we just keep giving ourselves over and the habit gets stronger. And we just, we just give ourselves over to it. So we got to stop. You know, um, and that, that's, there's where they are. He says, You're, it's hopeless. Therefore, I'm going to scatter them like drifting straw to the desert wind. That's probably not a good thing. And, uh, you know, because he, the guy's just going to expose them, he's going to destroy them, he's going to shame them. The Babylonians are going to treat them like the animals they live like. He says, you know, it's for your adulteries and your lustful neighings, the lewdness of your prostitution, I've seen them, and I'm going to, woe to you. So God's just going to, it's going to destroy them because they just constantly give themselves over to wickedness and it's become a part of their life. Comments and questions? John? In 23, it talks about, uh, you know, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Uh, besides Michael Jackson, that's not. <laughs> right. Uh, so the answer is no, and then, or a leopard change his spots, no. But it's saying, uh, so you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. I think so he's saying the opposite. I think, it, I think this is ironic. Let me see if I can read it with the right tone. This, that is a little challenging. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard's his spots? Then you also can do good or accustomed to doing evil. You, you, you can do good or accustomed to do evil about like a leopard can change his spots or about like an Ethiopian can change his skin. Like not. We always say that. Don't we always say, well, I can stop anytime I want to. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what the drunk says. The guy's an alcoholic. Oh, but, but, I mean, I'm not an alcoholic. I can stop. Well, then stop already. Well, well, you know. Why wouldn't you want to? It's destroying everything. Well, I can. I can, I know, I'm not addicted. Well, then don't. See, and, and so they keep saying, oh, we got this under control. We're not really. He says, you, are, you can't do it anymore because you've just given yourself over. In fact, what does the New Testament say? If we keep giving over ourselves over to sinful behavior, we become a what? What's the New Testament term? We, it doesn't use the term addict. It, what? Slave. Slave. Yeah. You become a slave to sin. Sin just takes over and rules your life. So I can stop anytime I want to. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the problem. And for us, the thing that happens is, you know, we think, oh, well, 
I will stop later. Every time you fall, you make it that much harder to get out of it. You increase the power of sin as the master over you. So, you know, he's saying, you guys are hopeless. You're just giving yourself over to so much. That this, is, this is as deep in you as the spot is on a leopard. You know, what are you going to do to unspot a leopard? Skin it. Yeah. <laughs> and I would think skinned leopards don't last long. <laughs> Other questions coming. Okay, chapter 14, we've got some lessons based on a drought. 